You said the concert was the 18th. It, it is. He, he's wrong. Look, the 18th, Toronto. What? Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode, we'll focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or support us on Patreon by becoming a member of Jerry's Gang. At patreon.com slash mouse madness. Kyle, we are back. And, you know, we, I feel like, have spent so much time talking about how much we hate a lot of things on this podcast. <laughs> we did a whole bracket for the worst Disney character. And I, like, I feel good about giving some characters some flowers, you know? Yes. Let's, let's, let's call out some, some good things that some of our favorite characters do i like it i like it a lot and i also like that this bracket of funniest pixar character also kind of did a good job of spanning the history of pixar itself sometimes we get heavy 90s nostalgia from our disney animated brackets sometimes we get a lot of pop hits in our song bracket but this one was pretty evenly spread from the the og film toy story all the way to the newest turning red so it's always nice yeah. to get into the world of Pixar, which always makes me feel good, always has these very lovable characters. And these are all characters that we can love on, except for Tomater, because he sucks. And so with that, let's bring in our guest host who does love some Tomater, loves the OG Pixar films. Eva, Eva, welcome. <laughs> Hi. Do I love Tomater? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love Woody here. That's for sure. And apparently Bing Bong, which almost got you banned oh. from the show last episode. No. <laughs> Trust me. No, 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 no. <laughs> we don't like Bing Bong. We don't really like Inside Out. So, But but I'll Bing take... Bong and Molt are the same voice actor, right? Did we, they are. Or, <laughs> Richard Kind. Wait, did, did I screw that up? No. Did we have a whole argument about that one time? <laughs> <laughs> I wish, but I think you're right. They're both Richard Kind. Really? Yeah. I thought we had a whole argument about who the voice of Molt was, but maybe, yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to run back the tapes. I need to No, it is that. Richard Kind. It's all, it's all Richard Kind. Yeah, it's all Richard yeah. Kind. It's all Richard Kind. So that would make sense why you might like Bing Bong, because it is just Molt as a elephant, dolphin. Hobo. I actually don't. I, 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 I don't know what was it about that movie that I just did not like. I The whole time, I'm like, what? What? Why? <laughs> sure. I was like Pixar. Oh, I don't know what you did here. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I watched it maybe like once or twice, and I don't think I'm ever gonna watch it again. Um, I don't know why I don't like it. I just don't like it. <laughs> and Bing Bong was. Oh my god. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we don't like him. Yeah. Hey, that's 
we we definitely don't like him. One one thing that um we haven't really been able to talk about because not only does it not super apply to the show, but also because we didn't dive into like an Oscars show. But a couple of weeks ago, Encanto won best animated film and it was actually up against Luca. And I, for one, was hoping for a bit of a Luca upset, get Uncle Ugo an Oscar. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that would have been great to have Sasha Baron Cohen up on stage accepting an Oscar with the. I think the he has won an Oscar. Didn't he win an Oscar for he, something? Yeah, wasn't he in, in like a, a drama? Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, it was Oscar. that Netflix show about the the Chicago the Chicago trial, right? Sasha Baron Cohen was nominated. Okay, for three Oscars. One in 2007, he was nominated for Best Writing Adapted Screenplay for Borat. And in 2021, he was nominated for two Oscars, one supporting role Oscar for The Trial of Chicago 7 and one for Adapted Screenplay again for Borat, the subsequent (laughs) movie film. Two different ends of the spectrum there. Yeah. So anyways, all that's just to say that I was really hoping for a Luca win and they didn't get it. And Kanto deserving for sure. All that it has done for representation and everything else. But I was hoping for a little Luca in there. But we have Uncle Ugo to still talk about despite him not receiving an Oscar. And before we dive in and, and talk more about our favorite deep dweller, it's time to talk a little spoonful of sugar. Chris, what are you drinking over there? Well, I've reached the end of my time here in Arizona. Yep. After what feels like an eternity, I'm going back to the Bay. Cannot wait to be home. And I had to clear out my fridge, so I'm drinking a diet root beer. <laughs> um, but I needed a little something extra. So I went ahead, and we, this is a mouse madness first. I took some drugs. Oh. Just call me lots of drugs, Bear. I pulled one out of the Kyle Madsen playbook <laughs> and I took some drugs. Specifically, I took an antihistamine because oh. my allergies here were screaming for weeks. Yeah, I can imagine. And I, I, I was like, oh, it's like there's like no vegetation there, right? Because it's dry and like there's no water. But my nose is running. My eyes are scratchy. I'm down there in the camera wells where there's dirt and sunscreen yep. and rosin and foreign substances flying around all, <laughs> all over the place. Uh, and, uh, and so I need a little relief. But, you know, this antihistamine is an extremely drowsy causing agent. So see how you last. You know, then. who knows? Who knows what's going to happen we'll by the end last. of this episode? I might be I might be completely incoherent and drooling. You just you never only know. Hope. You embodying your true Uncle Ugo. Yeah, that. I guess so. My heart might even stop <laughs> on air. We'll have to go over there and punch it. Uh, what do you got, Kyle? Oh man, I've walked by this specific beer many times shopping at Trader Joe's and was always interested by it because the price tag said $6 for a six pack. And I was like, hmm, that can't necessarily be a a good beer, but I want to try it. And what better place to try it than on the Mouse Madness podcast? So I went to Trader Joe's, got a six pack of what is called Boatsin American IPA. 
It's just a, it's just an IPA in this very very bland can. The alcohol percentage is 6.7, but the printing is so bad that you can't even tell that it says 6.7. It looks like it says 67. Of course it's probably <laughs> backwards on everybody's screen, but it uh it, it's 6.7 looking like 67. And uh let's go ahead and take a little sip. No. Nope. Would not would not recommend. This tastes like mm. a um an Loser. IPA that you and your you and your friends were have been day drinking. You've been at your house and you've been drinking all day and then you go outside to play some beer games and you come back in to use the bathroom and you set your beer down. Come back out of the bathroom and grab a beer and take a swig and oh, that is a beer that's been sitting out for the past six hours on your coffee table. That's what oh, that tastes no. like. Just cold. Yikes. <laughs> like, like a flat, Yikes. malty, syrupy type of IPA. Um, yeah. It was only five, six bucks. So that makes sense for a six pack. Um, I will, I'll just suffer through it for this one, but it's the dud. Eva, what do you have over on your side? I have <clears throat> something's probably a little too fancy for me. Oh. If I say so myself. Oh. We had a random little just like party thing. And we we're like, let's just go get some like random alcohol. And I saw this recipe that's like, what is man? I don't even know how to pronounce it. Limoncello? Is that how you say it? Sure. Sounds right. Right? Okay. That's what I have with a little bit of lime juice and a little bit of sparkling water. Ooh. And so it's good. It's good. Sounds refreshing. Uh, yeah, yeah, love those simple, those simple mixers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm with the lemon and the lime complement each other so well. And then the little carbonation, that's all that's it. That's all I need, you know? Exactly. So, it's tasty. It's what I you need. Know, it's all about subtlety. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about funny Pixar characters. And just to remind everyone, um, the demographic that was surveyed to get our original field of 16 Pixar characters, uh, we went ahead and DM'd folks on social media. Ones that were talking about how much they hated the Encanto Oscars performance. It was an absolute train wreck yep. of a performance. And we went ahead and asked them, okay, well, we know that that was very heartbreaking to watch. But what is the <laughs> funniest Pixar character, by the way? When they gave us 16 Pixar characters, we narrowed it down to a round of eight. Where we have the number one, Mike Wazowski, taking on number nine, Mr. Potato Head. Number 13, School of Fish from Finding Nemo versus number five, Abby from Turning Red. Number two, Dory from Finding Nemo versus number 10, May from Turning Red. We got we got back-to-back -back oh. Nemo versus Red matchups. Oh. Um, and then finishing off the round of eight, we've got number 14, Uncle Ugo from Luca versus number six, Ham. Kyle, you started us off last time. I'll go ahead and pick things up here today. Uh, it's the number one seed, Mike Wazowski versus number nine, Mr. Potato Head. Kyle, you accused me of underselling Mr. Potato Head's comedy a little bit um, in the last episode, and I'm not going to lie. Uh, I think you're probably right. Uh, you reminded <laughs> me of a few Mr. Potato Head moments that I definitely uh, will acknowledge are pretty funny. Um, you kind of called him the the class clown who's who's got the funny they've always got the funny thing to say mm -hmm. um in any situation um 
Doesn't he call he calls someone uncultured swine at some point? Yeah, ham. And then he turns around. What are you looking at? Hockey puck. And it's the the <laughs> literal hockey puck with arms. <laughs> um, I, I'm remembering when when they are at Al's toy barn. And well, first of all, he gets his foot stuck in some gum when they cross the street. And yep. <laughs> he, bar- he barely saves it from uh, getting squished by a giant tube of some kind. Yeah. Um, but once once they're inside, uh, the tour guide Barbie uh, <laughs> jumps into their car and Mr. Potato Head's like, I'm a married spud. I'm a married spud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how funny that is. Um. But it is, I guess, I'm not a married spud, so I don't really know like what it what it's like in that situation to be like someone who's like if in very old age who's been with their partner for a really long time, and then a tour guide Barbie like hops into your car and you go and like the things that go through your head. Like I don't I don't really know what that feels like, but I mean I imagine for some people that that's probably pretty spot on. Sure, and. Toy Story 3, he loses his body. He swaps his body so that he can oh, get okay. out of That's right. the, the nursery and get outside. So he like, they chuck his, um, his like eyes and mouth and stuff out the window and then they're able to slide the tortilla under the door so that he can grab it and become the tortilla. And then he's like a cucumber at one yeah. point too, I think. <laughs> he just, yeah, his body was like still, still in the in the jail <laughs> bin or something. I don't remember why it was still. Around. So, so in theory, you could put Mr. Potato Head's parts on anything. Yep. And he would still be Mr. Potato Head. Yep. So his, that where's his brain? I was just gonna <laughs> say. So where, what? <laughs> if we. <laughs> As human beings, if our soul is our brain, you know, like our brain is the part that gives us our our identity and everything that is who we are, like it's all in our brain. And if we, if our brain is removed from our bodies, we cease to be people. We're just, we're just bag of flesh. Yep. So like at what point is Mr. Potato Head just a piece of plastic? Hmm. Like he can be like, how many ways can he be dismantled? Like, is it his eyeballs? Is that well, like, no, because he can swap out his eyeballs. And in, is it the fourth one where they're looking for, or maybe it's the third one. uh, Mrs. Potato Head's eye is missing, but she can still see through it. I don't remember which one that is. Mm-hmm. I, it might be the fourth one, but she she's seeing through the eye, so that eye still works even though it's been taken off. So maybe the the brain is in the brown potato part, uh-huh. but it's not. Uh, it can still con- be controlled even though there are no like nerve endings attached to it. What if their brain and their soul and their personality are in their hats? See, I was going to say that I feel like the hat is the one thing you never really see completely separated. Because even he takes off his mustache. He takes off his mustache. He loses his shoe. His arm, he pops his arm off to peek around a corner or something when it's holding his eyeball, I feel Uh like. Even when he's a tortilla, he tries to wear the hat. 
oh no uh uh woody takes his arm and he's like and pretends to pat himself on the back <laughs> remember no that's buzz and, oh that was buzz's arm yeah Buzz's arms don't have the same autonomy as Mr. Potato Head's arms. But Mr. Potato Head gets destroyed in the moving truck by RC car. And he mm-hmm. tells the strong man to throw mm-hmm. Woody overboard. But it's just his eyes and his mouth separate from his body speaking. What if it's like what if it's like a Voldemort situation where Andy <laughs> where like Andy is like the the nerve center and Whoa. Mr. Potato Head is like the horcrux and if you <laughs> kill Andy then Mr. Potato Head dies. Whoa. So then Mr. Potato Head really had nothing to worry about when they were about to be burned in that fire pit. He I I think he probably would have survived. Alternate ending. Alternate ending. Um all right, I digress. That was a massive digression, but <laughs> um, but he is funny. Yes, he is funny. I will submit to okay. that argument. Uh, number one, Mike Wazowski. Kyle, you did not like Mike Wazowski as a number one seed. No. Um, and I do. I, I don't think I would pull Mike Wazowski out of a hat and say, this is the funniest Pixar character. I think that's what's interesting about the topic. Um, what is funny? You know, different people find different things funny. Yeah. Um, and there are so many funny Pixar characters or Pixar characters that have moments of funniness. So like uh, on any given day, I might pull a different Pixar character out of that hat and say, this is the funniest Pixar character. But Mike Wazowski, I think is a solid choice for a number one seed. He's, he's a main character in a Pixar movie, which I, to me, that goes a really long way. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's what I said. It's what I said last week. Like, if you are real, that's funny. Yep. And um, some of these more cameo type characters. I mean, I think Uncle Ugo's hilarious, but that could have easy that that could have just as easily completely missed the mark with me. Yeah. Um, and and I definitely could have read that as like, oh, this is just a cheap attempt at laughs, and I absolutely hate it, and it's pointless. Um, so I, so I like Mike Wazowski as a top seed and, and I like Dory as a top seed as well, not to jump too far ahead. Um, Mike has, I mean, you called him kind of the straight man to, to Sully's in the clouds state of mind. And, and I would agree with that. I, I, I was disappointed that Woody didn't make this bracket because he is kind of a voice of reason and, yep. Mike Wazowski is that as well, like you said. Um, he's like caught in the middle of this situation where it's like he's he he loses every which way that you cut it. Like <laughs> if he um, tries to uh, like support his friend Sully, he lets a child loose into Monstropolis, which is his you know, lively, his whole livelihood is there and he's been conditioned to believe that the child is dangerous. So he can't go against the natural order of things. But if he takes the kid and puts it back, then Sully's going to be really sad. And then Sully's not going to do good scare numbers. And then Mike Wazowski is not going to make a lot of money because he's Sully's assistant. So he's like caught in this very like, um, precarious situation. And like, I'm not going to lie. I find sitcoms hilarious. Uh-huh. Like 
situational humor is my favorite type of humor because I am a person who often finds myself in situations <laughs> that like I can remove myself from and say, this is objectively funny. Uh, your boy needing to uh, rush to the bathroom at Disneyland on grad night because I had some bad cheesy bacon fries at ESPN zone <laughs> um, is funny when you think about an entire group of people saying, let's go on a Matterhorn in some cuddle seats while right. you are having this unbearable <laughs> stomach issue. Ha like that's just objectively funny, you right. know? And so yep. like, I love seeing a character in situations that I feel like I can relate to or that I feel like I've been in before. Um, and ones that, you know, they're kind of like a, a vessel for me, you know, and, and I can see through their point of view and I can see the characters that they're seeing it, that they're reacting to and being like, oh my gosh, I feel the exact same way uh, in a way that is not as extreme as like a PT flea. And mm. like it's in Mike Wazowski, maybe it's kind of a watered down PT flea. That might be a good way to describe him. But I think that's kind of like a negative connotation when you say he's watered down. He's just a, he's a more subtle PT flea. PT flea light. Well, he's PT flea light. <laughs> and, uh, and he does get upset. Like he loses his temper like plenty of times when Boo is uh, sneezing in his eyeball and he lets out a scream. <laughs> Funny. He literally he's, fights Sully in the Himalayas. Yeah. When he's, when he's having it out with his best friend. I mean, something about his kind of like size and stature. Yeah. Just like it's, it's kind of funny, you know? Um, his, uh, we talked about Roz and like his banter back and forth with Roz is, is a funny situation. Um, and he's also got this, this girlfriend that he's trying to impress. So like he, he's kind of like always a little bit on the edge because he's being pulled in all of these different directions. He's also uh, having to like keep so many stories up throughout the entire film. Like he's, he has to lie to his bosses. He has to lie to his competitor, Randall. He has to lie to his girlfriend. He has to lie about how he feels about this child to Sully. Like he's having to keep so many lies and storylines up in the air that it leads to very funny situations. Even the uh, your intro to this episode of him coming up with a reason as to why they're, they're saying this, <laughs> this, having this dialogue on the scare floor. Put that thing back where it came from or so help me. And he goes, oh, we're rehearsing for the uh, company musical. It's called <laughs> put that thing back where it came from or so help me. Put that thing back where it came from or so help me. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, yeah, like, like I think Mike Wazowski is, is a, the perfect mixture that I'm looking for in a funny character. He's got the He's got the realism um, that I can see myself in him. He's in comedic situations. Yep. And like he like his performance is comedic as well. It's Billy Crystal and like you know say less. Sure. Honestly, uh, he he has great comedic timing and just the way that he talks and the way that he delivers his lines funny. Uh I have the number 1 seed advancing to the final four. I love how much you are relating to Mike Wazowski. You 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 found a passion in that conversation. You you said, I am Mike. Mike is me. I find myself in scenarios like Mike. I like that. Good for you. And you're, and you're Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> and I'm Mr. Potato Head roasting you about it. Uh, no, I, 
I think you're I think you're probably right here. It's listening to what you just had to say and thinking about all of the situations that Mike is in and the way that he is able to not only convince people that what he is doing is, you know, sound, but that he himself is sound is funny. Uh, every scenario that he's in is funny. Even when he's trying to be funny and it doesn't work is funny. Like when they're trying to get Boo to, to laugh, to get the doors to open when they're stuck in the massive door warehouse and Boo's hood was down. So she didn't see him what <laughs> crack his nuts on the bar i don't, I don't yep. remember what the movie yeah i think that's, that's what exactly it was. <laughs> that's, he yeah he like snaps his eyelid and then like does a backflip yeah and lands on his crotch right yep so uh yeah i think he's funny mr potato head does have the lines that i said he definitely does get softer as the time goes on and mrs potato head becomes the funnier potato because he now has love in his life and he's not so grouchy and mean, I guess. But the the lines that I said to you are basically all of his funniest lines. And they all come in the first movie. After the first movie, it's more of the Mrs. Potato Head show. But Mike pre- keeps it pretty consistent. And from what I remember of Monsters University, uh, Mike's energy is the same there. He is he's also funny. Uh, Billy Crystal, as you said, can't go wrong. So I as much as I don't think that he's deserving of the one seed in this bracket, uh, I'm going to agree with you. And I'm going to say that Mike Wazowski moves on. Eva, what are your thoughts with the one seed heading off? Yeah, I like it. Uh, Mr. Potato Head, he's, he's a character, that guy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think Mike Wazowski, uh, if you really think about like the humor side of it, yeah, I think he wins for sure. I also like that it's not necessarily Mike, but it is a lot centered around Mike that in the credits of Monsters Inc, we get to see like the performance of the play that he was talking about, like the the mm. company play. I like that. The uh, good good addition, Pixar. All right, let's talk about this next matchup. It's number 13, School of Fish versus the number five, Abby. So besides all that I said about Abby last time with her intensity, her almost recklessness, her emotions, all of that being so funny. What I also really appreciate about Abby and and her being a lot of the comedic relief in a lot of the moments is that as funny and somewhat relatable that this movie is, it's also pretty heavy in its themes. You're talking about the the this girl's ability or inability to balance her relationship with her parents, her relationship with her friends, her relationship with herself, dealing with changes within herself. You're dealing with a lot of pressures from all angles. Her her entire beginning monologue kind of breaks down like, you know, I I have this pressure to be perfect and I have this pressure to to go and work with my mom and do all of this stuff. And it kind of pervades the entire movie and Abby is we're able to lean on Abby as this kind of like it's not so serious like you're a kid and you should be able to have fun like a kid and Abby is the extreme of that fun she is outlandish she is reckless she is intense she's herself she is a a kid herself going through the same things that May is going through but able to embrace it better 
And I think that's funny because we are there either sympathizing, empathizing, or rolling our eyes at with May. <laughs> and then we have Abby who's feeling like she's comfortable in her own skin. She's she's crazy. And we want to be like her. Like I think that's that's something about Abby that is that relatability is that we maybe look at her and wish that we could have been like Abby when we were kids. Now, I think we probably relate closer to May and her experiences, but we would want to be as confident and as comfortable as somebody like Abby, who is a wild card. And I think that there's some humor in that. I'm no comedy expert. I didn't do any improv in high school or college, but something tells me that there's some sort of theory around that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that I've or I've just cracked it and now I am the genius and I am the professor. Well, she she's it's a it's she works because it's a group dynamic. You know, like you never really see these characters alone. Right. Um you have Abby as kind of the loud one, but she doesn't get a whole lot of moments where she's by herself. So she's never kind of forced to like be normal. Um yeah. and then you've got like uh Priya who is like the like quiet too cool for school one who hardly even opens her mouth and she always has like a blank expression on her face like you know these yeah it's um it's a group dynamic and abby's the the funny one in the group dynamic yeah and she plays it well without being i think in my opinion obnoxious doesn't really take away from the rest of the group or the story and so i like that I get that she does come off as like a, a screaming character, a PT flea type, because she does a lot. She does these very aggressive movements and actions. She punches May in the face at one point. Uh, but I think there's a lot of subtleties in that intensity, as bizarre as that sounds, that made me laugh the entire time I was watching that film. Like I said last time, I couldn't take my eyes off of the corner of the screen to watch all of her little subtle maniacal movements she was doing whenever a scene was happening. But she also had some very funny quips without screaming, as I brought up last time uh, with the the uncle's comment around Fortown. But also when they're trying to get May out of May's room, when May has turned into the panda, they haven't realized that yet. Uh, she does one of those like hostage situation <laughs> conversations with May from outside the window where she goes, mm. knock one if yes. Knock two if no. And I that got me. I thought that was pretty funny. So I really like Abby. Abby is up against School of Fish, which, yep, talked a lot about Ratzenberger uh, doing, doing a, a good bit. What I didn't really think a ton about until we moved on the School of Fish is like that School of Fish backstory. Like him... The leader of the school of fish saying like, okay, boys, just like we rehearsed. I want to see that rehearsal. <laughs> I want to see like how this school of fish came to like be this masters of charades. Cause that's basically what he was saying. They were, were, rehearsing, were rehearsing was the charades bit that they did for Dory. But in that, that charades bit, Outside of just roasting Marlin, there's some great stuff where they're like obviously an octopus and mm-hmm. Dory goes, a clam. They're like, eh, close enough. Like, yes, mm-hmm. that is <laughs> that is funnier than Dory saying clam at the octopus, which is why I think that Dory's ranked a little bit too high. But 
then you get, of course, like they're a little bit of their roastiness at the end where they're telling Marlon to, hey, hey, let the lady speak. And then obviously like mock, literally mocking him by mouthing, forming a big clownfish and mock, mouthing his words in the background. Uh, very quick scene, few minutes, but leaves a big impact, obviously. And they really punch a uh, pack a lot of comedy in those few moments. But for me, I, I just I'm in love with Abby's character um, and maybe it's a recency bias uh, and I can fully admit that if it is. But I just think that she is doing the most without doing too much. And it landed every time for me. I'm going to go with Abby. Yeah, I um, uh... Like I said, I don't know that I love Abby's style of comedy. Right. Um, I But I don't know that I love the School of Fish style of comedy either. And it just seems like we have so much Ratzenberger on this bracket <laughs> that I, like, I, I'm almost attracted to the uniqueness of Abby's character um, in Turning Red. One moment that I did find pretty funny is uh i guess spoiler for turning red but yeah they, go ahead and uh turn off the volume eva because it's a pretty big moment if you don't want it spoiled <laughs> well yeah they they find out that uh abby read the concert poster wrong um and the concert poster said toledo ohio and she thought it said toronto ontario <laughs> and so she's like what the heck is Toledo? Yes. And she tears up the poster and starts like cursing to herself in Korean. Yeah. I don't know that she's cursing, but she's like, she's ranting she's like to herself. Yeah. She's like ranting to herself as she walks off screen. Um, and I thought that that was particularly funny. Yeah. Um, uh, and like an appropriate reaction to that. oneself, <laughs> yes. you know, like, like that, you know, she didn't try and like make an excuse. Like she clearly realized that she was the one that messed that up. And yeah. so she's just really mad at herself about it. Right. Um, and I think that's really funny and like, and like very authentic as well. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think I'm like, I know we have a lot of Ratzenbergers on here, but I do think the School of Fish is the funniest of all of the Ratzenbergers. Huh. Um, yeah, so I so I think I have to go with them here. I'm, I'm going to advance 13 over 5. Abby, so this, Eva, this is going to go to a tiebreaker for you, and <laughs> you can take this opportunity to send home the character from the movie you've never seen before, um, or not. Well, I mean, if you're to think about it, a little girl who's just like, you know, I mean, because I was able to like read up on it. Um, she seems like a very mischievous girl, you know, so um, the school of fish. I mean, it's funny because we're talking about a character and there's like a bunch of them, but <laughs> they kind of uh, act as one and they're all voiced by one. Right, so they are they, one. I guess they exactly. are one. Just like Chris and Mike Wazowski are one. The School of Fish are one. <laughs> it's it, true. <laughs> they, they are one. Um, I just, I know that if I were to be hanging out with like this crazy little girl, I mean, my mom's a nanny, so uh, I would help my mom and like go uh, 
and we she was at once taking care of four little girls two families and they had four crazy girls like they were insane so and the stuff that they would say is hilarious i would be dying laughing i remember one time specifically uh one kid we were eating one kid just did something funny i started laughing and the other little girl started crying and saying it's not funny <laughs> and i was like why are you crying i'm not even laughing at you just like no don't laugh it's not funny she started bawling actually tears strolling down her face from this day i remember that i was probably like 14 years old maybe and so if i were i know i probably have i know i haven't seen the movie but based off of what i read slash my experience with the little girls or just girls that are just you know going through it i know for sure if, i mean seeing her expressions everywhere too she looks like a crazy funny chick so although i know i haven't seen the movie but i do and can relate to her character as a little girl going through it so i would say abby school of fish they're funny they've rehearsed it you know they're they've been waiting for that moment to mock someone to roast someone uh i think the little crazy girl and listen <laughs> i wouldn't hang out with abby <laughs> i would be staying clear away from the i mean from that that character because probably because i can relate because i was a crazy little girl too hyper (laughs) screaming left and right you know so and those little girls that my mom took care of i would come back like all the time to hang out with them because they would also do the same thing and we i can just relate to them because i was i was that girl so (laughs) that's probably my like a bias i guess with it so all right, well, let's move on to the next round of eight matchup. It's number two, Dory versus number 10, May. Um, all right, so I... Can we talk about the actual funniest character in Turning Red? And that is the crew of ants and grandma that rolls up. Um, and is like in sweatsuits and yeah. is super overbearing. Yep. Um, I find those women absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Uh, in that movie, I, that's all yeah. I'm gonna say. I think they're hilarious too, but I think there is a lot more hilarity happening besides them. Um, May so. May undergoes an interesting transformation throughout the course of turning red. Yeah, you know, at the begin at the beginning, she is sort of that aspirational character that you were talking about a little bit when you were talking about Abby. Um, she is very confident in herself and like the person that she is. Um, she's like, as you said, something like, "I do whatever I want when I want," yeah. <laughs> or something like that, and. Yeah. Um, she's like dancing and twerking and she's like, if I want to do a no hands cartwheel down the street, I'll do a no hands cartwheel down the street. I do what I want. I say what I want and I'm not going to hesitate to do a spontaneous cartwheel if I feel so moved. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Uh, that character intro was a little bit too much for me. Oh Um, man. I think here's the thing. Here's the thing. And we've brought this up on the Turning Red uh, discussion on Patreon, so you can hear me dive into it more there. But if I was sitting alone watching 
that intro on my laptop or on my TV, I'd be like, yeah, this is a little too long. But watching that in theaters with an audience was very funny. Like (laughs) everyone related to some moment of that monologue that she had. And so there was like these sprinklings of laughter for each little joke. And I thought, and I was getting a kick out of it. So I can, I see what you mean. I know, I know exactly what you mean, but uh, I, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, if you're talking about kind of like the aspirational character, like I don't aspire to be someone who like doesn't give a sure you know like like i i do give a and i i would like to give and so um i'm watching it with julia however and she is a person who will do a cartwheel down the street i've seen it many times (laughs) she will literally hand me her stuff and say hold this i'm gonna do a cartwheel (laughs) down you know 14th street in New York. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Okay. This is, this is maybe not now. This is, this is way yeah, time to do it. I don't it. know. <laughs> um, she'll do pirouettes down the hallway. She'll do, you know, little ballerina jumps at target. <laughs> like she just doesn't really have that same kind of energy that I do where like, I care about <laughs> like, the way others might perceive me sure. in public. Sure. So in watching this scene with her, she is absolutely in tears, like watching this character kind of say this stuff out loud um, and do these things that I think she probably saw a lot of herself in. Um, and that kind of like degaff YOLO attitude is funny to some people. Um, that being said, like, it just doesn't resonate with me at all. So like, I can't really advance the character. Uh, Dory, I think is pretty funny. I think she has a lot of funny moments in finding Nemo, uh, squishy when she meets the the squishy and, and names the squishy, uh, when she's jumping on the jellyfish, when she's supposed to, uh, you know, be afraid of the jellyfish or whatever. Um, when she's making friends with the sharks, uh, like I find it funny, uh, again, she's a character that's in funny situations, has funny comedic timing. Um, so yeah, I'm advancing number two, Dory. I really appreciated, um, May's monologue to set up the rest of the film because she kind of goes into all of these overconfident tropes where she is like, I, I do what I want. I say what I want, but in reality, that's not who she is. Like we see that as she goes through this transformation, like I do what I want. I say what I want. I accept and embrace all labels, but not when she becomes what she sees as an outsider. So that's not really who she is. And we go on that journey with her to discover who she truly is. So that beginning is just so funny because I think that there's a lot of relatability to it. If you think of your, your own child self, was I ready to bust out a cartwheel in the middle of the street 
when I wanted to? Absolutely not. Was I in over my head and overconfident and wanting to grow up too fast? Yeah. So there's a lot of like relatability in those aspects that I really appreciated about her and her entire first monologue. After that, it turns into a lot of situational humor where it's like really awkward moments or it's really uh, awkward interactions with other people that we can think back to a time when we were tweens and and remember something like that and remember our first crush and do all of these things. But uh, it's not necessarily that she's hilarious. Although when she embraces that like panda personality, there are some very funny moments with her as the panda. But uh, most of the time, it's the the humor is the awkwardness of the situation because we all remember a time in which we were that awkward coming of age human being. Dory still think ranked too high. Didn't want to um, pass, or I mean, I didn't want to pass along either Dory or Twenty Two, but Dory made it there. But something that you just brought up that I totally forgot about was Dory with the sharks, and when they're like, uh, "Does anybody else want to speak?" and Dory's like, "Yeah, I'll speak," and she's like, "Hi, I'm Dory." And they're like, "Oh, Dory." <laughs> He's like, and uh, I don't think I've ever eaten a fish. And it passes to the sharks who are just like stunned. Good on you, mate. God, I, that part is very, very funny. Uh, I, I do like that. And it's both situation and just her delivery. Ellen DeGeneres, especially at that time, you know, mid 2000s, was at like the peak of, of Ellen-ness because she had just gone through that 90s you know abc scandal or whatever where she like came out and she was being barred from a lot of things and and finally the world was able to embrace the real ellen degeneres and she had this moment of doing dory and having her show and her show overtaking like oprah and all this stuff and then turned out she's like a really bad boss (laughs) and so now people really don't care about her anymore baby have Uh, i told have i told any ellen stories on this podcast i were you the one that said that she's actually like not nice in person i've been telling people that for 10 years probably hit us with it well, we'll do we'll do story time another another day. But <laughs> I was I I I was I had the read I had the read on it when I worked at Warner Brothers, and and I would quietly tell people, um, and as part of kind of icebreaker conversations, um, and and I'm glad it's out there. I'm glad I'm glad the world knows. We'll have a full on Dory story time, uh, for. Jerry's gang, maybe one of these days, but uh, yeah, she she was reaching that peak, and the comedic timing that she puts into this character can be pretty funny. And her commitment to the bit, let's be honest, her commitment to every joke in Finding Nemo was phenomenal. Her entire like whale performance, while it is loud and obnoxious, she committed to the bit, and that was what was funny. So. I think that as relatable as May is, a lot of the comedy that comes from herself is in that first three-minute monologue. After that, it's a lot of situational stuff, a lot of Abby putting it on her back. But I think Dory really has that that funniness through the movie, even though it's very much out of her control. So I agree with you. Number two, Dory moves on. Eva, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. Um, 
I love Dory. I, I think the first thing that came up to my mind was when <laughs> she was like, we try to save uh, his son, Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> that little part where she always... Uh, say bye to Elmo or say hi to Elmo yeah. or something like that. It's just constantly forgetting his Nemo's name. Uh, that always gets me. That was just always like, come on. <laughs> Tells you it's too sick of sleep, she forgets. Uh, so, yeah. Which is funny because the, the Elmo joke happens at the very end of the film after she's revealed that she remembers things with Marlin. Right. So why is she still forgetting Nemo's name? come on it's not like it's the name of the movie it's not like you've heard it over and over again throughout this entire journey dory all right let's move on here let's talk about the number 14 uncle ugo versus number six ham basically uncle ugo is who we said he was last episode that's about all we've got on uncle ugo unless chris you want to talk even further into him but no we got nothing else that's that's who he is ham I like a lot as a comedic character because I feel like in this in this toy story world you have a a funny character like Mr. Potato Head but often Mr. Potato Head is going after the laughs at the expense of someone else he's the roaster he's the class clown mm. he's the anti-authoritarian he's you know he off, he becomes a little bit nicer as the films go on but in that first film where his real funniness is uh he's he's brash but ham is just like naturally funny he's just kind of who he is and who he is is funny from the moment that we're introduced to him and i i have a theory that he is gaslighting uh <laughs> potato head at the beginning of the film but potato head shows up and he has all the pieces of his face in different places and he's like ham hey look i'm picasso and ham goes ah i don't get it and then walks away (laughs) yeah like i believe ham knows exactly who picasso is because ham can read (laughs) ham is very worldly i think he's just trying to get a rise out of potato head and that's funny i think that's hilarious yeah that is yeah that is. I, it's I, like, I agree with that take. Yeah. Yeah. It's like passive roasting <laughs> is yeah. what gaslighting yeah. is. <laughs> uh, put it in the urban dictionary. And, and it just keeps going on. His, his like almost too smart for everybody attitude without putting it in everyone's face is funny for the audience. Him being able to read the instruction manual of the Toyota Forerunner uh, that their the pizza truck is. Uh, him always pointing out not only the obvious, but the right direction in a way that is just delivered so dryly. That is funny to us. So I think that like we just get a ton more play out of uh, Ham. Uncle Ugo, pleasant surprise. I'm glad that he wasn't a complete kind of throwaway character for them. There is many a long laugh that you get out of Uncle Ugo. Uh, but it's not something a character like Ham. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pass Ham along here. Uh, I am going to take the opposite approach. I'm going to advance Uncle Ugo. This okay. is one of the few kind of cameo, quick appearance Pixar characters that really does work for me. Um, it's 
It's the style of comedy that is unique, um, and slow, um, and not in your face that I that I really sort of enjoy. Um, and yeah, Ham's great, but I think I I think I laughed out loud at Uncle Ugo. Uh, so this tie break is gonna go to Eva. Yeah, so I think uh, I love Uncle Ugo. Uh, his, like, you would, I mean, you didn't expect that to happen, but he was just this, this like, <laughs> under the depths of the sea creature that his heart just stops and you have to just, like, punch him in the chest <laughs> and have to come back to life, <laughs> you know? But, I mean, to be honest, I kind of, forgot about his character a little bit along the way and then once we saw that end credit I was like oh right that the uncle right um because it was such a quick uh you know appearance yeah he only shows up that he was just at the beginning for he shows up and then yeah disappears he's gone so uh yeah I kind of forgot about him uh after the the movie and then once I saw him again I was like oh yeah uh but I mean him obviously different because he's uh i mean toy story og so but i think ham is a little bit more his character with along with his humor it's the they go hand in hand and uh he feeds off of you know mr potato head he feeds off of rex he feeds off of woody so uh and yeah i think i'm gonna go with ham uh just because I low-key forgot about Uncle Ugo during <laughs> watching Luca, so which meant he probably just wasn't the most memorable, although he is funny. Uh, but I'm going to go with Ham on this one. All right, we're down to our final four. It's number one, Mike Wazowski versus number five, Abby, and number two, Dory versus number six, Ham. We've got, we've got some top seeds uh, who've made their way to the final four. So let's talk about number one, Mike versus number five, Abby. Um, I mean, I'll go to bat for Mike again, I guess it's all the things that, that I talked about in the last round. He's got a kind of a dynamic sort of comedic presence where he's in comedic situations. He has comedic reactions, um, good delivery. I mean, I'll talk about some of my, (laughs) Some of like my top non-Disney favorite uh, fictional comedic characters. Shrek. Uh, the fic- Not Shrek, Kyle. <laughs> Not Shrek, okay? <laughs> Number one, the fictional version of Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay. Number two, the fictional version of George Costanza in Seinfeld. Okay. Who is basically Larry David. Right. Um, number three, uh, Charlie Kelly in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yep. Uh, number four, Clark Griswold in the Vacation movies. Yep. It's these characters that like are just trying to keep it together um, <laughs> when all of the crazy things in the world are happening around them. I feel like just, Charlie yells a lot for you. Charlie does. I'm old. Well, I go back and watch some old Sonny, right? Okay. Like, okay. Okay. 
it new sunny like the last like four or five seasons of sunny i personally don't think are very good um, okay. because they they definitely ran with the concept like oh it's the show where everyone yells a lot like oh haha that's funny let's let's dial that up um but some of the older episodes of Sunny, like uh, the character is a little bit more subtle and, and I feel like much funnier um, because of that reason. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the Clark Griswolds of the world that um, have a lot on their shoulders and are just barely getting by. Yes. Um, I find that to be very funny. And, and Mike Wazowski is that guy uh, in Monsters, Inc. And he is that guy in the Pixar universe. Uh, so I am advancing him to the finals. Yeah. I think that I, I still don't think that Mike deserves the one seed. And yet here he is going to the finals because I think that Abby has ran her course. I think that she's was deserving of getting to the final four. Like I, everything that I said, I, I still believe is true. And I'm sure that there's, a million different other moments that I'm missing from her performance in Turning Red. But Mike Wazowski has this depth to him where it's not just situational. It's not just roasting. It's not just blatant lies <laughs> to his friends that come off as funny. It's all of that combined. And that makes him a very not only like well-rounded character, but you're right. I think we can all relate to the feeling of just just trying to keep it all together. And that's what Mike does. And not only for selfish reasons, but because he cares about those around him. And I think that is also something that's very relatable. So, you know, I do have that that bias against one seeds to the finals. I hate to see it when it happens, but I think this is probably where Mike deserves to be. Uh, Eva, we're sending Mike to the finals. What do you think? I love it because Mike Wazowski is, uh, I think one of my favorite characters in Monsters, Inc. I mean, I love Sully so much, but, uh, obviously Sully and, uh, Mike Wazowski together, iconic. So, um, but I mean, <laughs> the scene that always gets me and always will, uh, be with me is when in how happy he was when he saw his face covered by the barcode <laughs> on that magazine so you know and every time I see a barcode is something's in it I'm like oh they Mike Wazowski <laughs> did or whatever so that just always stays with me uh and that's just something that you know will forever be funny so Mike Wazowski finals let's go all right let's see who Mike will meet in the finals. It's the number two Dory versus the number six Ham. And this is the end of the road for Dory. And I say that because there are moments of Dory's funniness, her humor, her situations that use up all of its time. It goes a little bit too long. Uh, she can get annoying at some points. It's not always just the, you know, couple get a couple lines and get out of the the funny joke but it's let's drag it on as long as we can we know and remember and some of us a lot of us love the whale moment but even on upon rewatching we're about two whale grunts too many for that situation 
And then it's that same formula over and over again. It's Dory diving too deep into a situation or a moment and we easily get annoyed by her. We being me. Ham, on the other hand, is just so cool and quick with it that it's let me deliver these sprinkles of knowledge, of quips, of baby roasts, of whatever I want to say. And they land every time because sometimes it might be an unexpected compliment. Sometimes it might be an unexpected moment of intelligence. Sometimes it might be a passive aggressive comment that turns into some a little bit of a baby roast. Ham is just great and you want to hear what he has to say next. I don't necessarily have that same mindset when it comes to Dory. So I'm going to send number six, Ham, to the finals. Um, yeah, I like I like Dory better because she's sort of the best of both worlds. Um, if you compare her to a character like Toe Mater, where she is funny, like her comedy is funny, but she's also like um, endearing is the word yeah. that you keep using. And so I like her a lot more. However, I don't know that Dory's funny so much as the situations she's in are funny or the way that she approaches things is funny. Hmm. Um, whereas Ham has a funny presence and he's, he's very intentionally in a funny position uh, or he puts himself in the position of being the funny guy. Um, I, I think I think I'm still gonna have to go with Dory. I don't like. I want to advance Ham, but just something's. I just when I think of Dory, I think funny, you know, and like when hmm. I think Ham, I think funny too. But I, I think uh, Dory being a better representative for Pixar as a whole is is more meaningful for me here. Oh, interesting. Uh, she is a, she is a lead, you know. She's a main character, and that that goes a long way uh, with me. So um, Eva's breaking the tie. Who's going to the finals? Oh man, this is hard because I love both Ham and Dory so much, but Dory, I mean, (laughs) one thing that got me was the little bit, you know, talking about how she can uh, get a little annoying is when, yeah, they have that, that very long scene of her being, you know, talking well, she's like, you know, continuing to speak well and then right when she shoots out of the whale Merlin's like thank you sir right whatever and she's like wow I wish I could speak well like do you do you yeah what, <laughs> what were you doing this whole time when you were like moments ago speaking well just like how she always forgets Nemo's sure. name but I mean she also has a movie like about her so because she was so funny, right? Because she was so iconic with what she Pixar did in Nemo. Because so <laughs> <laughs> Pixar thought she was funny. Um, but Ham, I just loved his his like snarkiness towards yeah his situations that he was in. Um, the way he would make fun of uh, <laughs> Rex when you know he was flipping the channels. He's like, let me do it, and he's just flipping, flipping, flipping. You know, he's like, I got this, uh, and the moments when they were looking for uh, Woody, looking in the when they were driving the Barbie doll or they're driving the car in the store, 
um, just those small little ones. And then when he flips, you know, he trips and all his coins come out and his quirks. <laughs> Don't look at me with my quirks back inside. So <laughs> it's as hard because Dory, she's known to be funny. She is the funny one. Um, while Ham, yeah, he's not necessarily known as the funny one. But I just love the way he interacts with the other characters in Toy Story, with the way he says things. He His reactions are the best. But uh, this is so hard because both of them are so good. And it's really difficult and I'm struggling right now because I have no idea. Uh, man, I might have to go... As much as she can be annoying, like, be it she can be annoying, I'm going to have to go with Dory oh on this boy. one. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. There she goes. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with Dory. There she goes. Well, she, sw- she, she just keeps swimming her way to the final. <laughs> it's it's number one, Mike Wazowski versus number two, Dory. It's a one versus two, Kyle. It's so annoying because at the beginning of this bracket, I was like, eh. I don't think that the one and two deserve to be one and two. And here they are. And here they are. I, it, I mean, this is this is this this uh, is what comes with being a one and a two seed. You have you know two easy matchups before you get to a hard matchup. You know, and yeah. you really you only really have to win one round. Like this is how seeding works. This is this is why things are seeded in the first place. I um, mean, there is no reseeding either. This is why you play 162, baby. This is this is why you do it. Um, yeah, I I think that I'm having a little bit tougher time. I thought Ham was going to advance to the finals here, but but this is a little bit tougher for me. One of the things that I think about a lot when I think about like actors who are successful in comedy, I think about Seth Rogen specifically. You know, like um. he is is one of the great comedians on screen of our generation. Yeah. And like, and and why does someone like Seth Rogen reach such high levels of fame as a comedian, as opposed to someone like Chris Hemsworth, who I think is just as funny and I want to say it's because of the physical appearance of the person. Yeah. And part of the foundation of like what defines comedy is, is you have to somehow relate to it, whether it's like a stand up bit or a sketch or a movie, like we, the audience have to look at that thing and be like, Oh, that person is me. Or that situation is one I've been in. And so you look at someone like Chris Hemsworth, who is jacked and ripped, and that's not as funny as someone like Seth Rogen, who has like a scraggly beard and a very average build. Mm -hmm. That person's going to be successful in comedy 100% of the time. And so looking at like Mike Wazowski as as a character... He's filled with a lot of like rage and he can be angry, but he's such a non-threatening little <laughs> green one-eyed ball uh-huh. with like chicken legs and chicken arms uh-huh. that you never get that like 
oh, this is too much or like it's going too far. It's like, it's like a little puppy dog, you know, yeah, yapping yeah. at you or, or that, that friend in your friend group that you love messing with because you know <laughs> that they will never, ever become scary. Right. We've all got that person, y'all. Yeah. And, and Mike is that character on this bracket. Um, he's the one that you like to mess with because he's, he's average. He's, he's your average Joe. Um, who's just trying to go about his business. Yeah. Uh, Dory is, is non-threatening in her own way, right? She, um, you know, she's a fish. I mean, they're all fish, so I don't know how you can be a threatening (laughs) fish unless you're like a A shark. Barracuda? Eat all the babies? Barracuda? Maybe a little, I mean, I was going to say stingray, but there literally is a stingray in Finding Nemo and he's very very non-threatening. Um, yeah, no, she's not threatening in her own way. She has this uh, sort of um, approachable energy and this uh, simpleness about her. Yeah, that is uh, disarming. Nah. Um. So I think both of these characters kind of check that box for me. Um, where like, you know, we've been talking about class clowns a lot and like, I never liked the idea of the class clown when I was in high school. You know, I was always like, you know, this person's seems to be compensating for something or, or doing too much or the, the kind of snarkiness is, is a bit aggressive and I don't like it. Um, and, and so neither of these characters have that. So that's also a toss up here. Um, yeah, I, I I think I'm just going to have to go with my gut on it and say it's Mike Wazowski. Um, and I don't know if that's because I like Billy Crystal more than I like Ellen DeGeneres um, or that I like how Mike has a self-awareness um, that Dory does not have. Um, I think it's probably the latter uh-huh. uh, that, that's going to put him over the top for me. So I'm, I'm crowning him the one-eyed winner of this bracket. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been trying to get rid of Dory this entire time, and the the moment has come. I think <laughs> that her, while she is funny and she does have this kind of non threatening cuteness about her her humor throughout the film, it does drag on at times, and I think that she becomes a little bit too much for. The audience, uh, she definitely becomes too much for Marlon, which is why I think that Marlon ends up being a little bit funnier than Dory at moments. But Mike, while I still think that he was probably undeserving of the one seed, but that's like I said, that's why you play 162. I think that his character is not only relatable, there are multiple layers to his humor. It's not the same forgetful bit. It's not the same anger bit. It's not the same lost bit. It is yeah. it, it is the the embodiment of the human experience in this monster who has to go on this outlandish experience. It's very much like a, a Clark Griswold. It's very he has to go on this yeah. Christmas vacation. And experience all of these other characters around him when he just has a goal in mind. He just wants to do something and he has to accommodate for everything around him. And so I, I'm going to agree with you. I think that the humor in Mike is a lot funnier 
both from a subtle standpoint, but also a in-your-face standpoint. You get the the potty humor in in the burps. You get the nut shot. <laughs> you get the the roasts. You get the anger. He is a package of humor and a little baby ball. So I'm agreeing with you. We are crowning Mike Wazowski from Monsters Inc. as the funniest Pixar character. And as we do at the end of every bracket, we are going to clap it out. Eva, did you see the number one seed Mike Wazowski taking the crown when we started this whole thing? I definitely thought he would go to finals. I was like, I don't know, Mike Wazowski, he could do it. But I did not see him winning. <laughs> there are some pretty pretty good characters on this uh, this bracket. So I didn't see it, but he did it. The little guy did it. He made his way off the barcode onto the actual <laughs> cover of the magazine his his so. <laughs> banner in the uh momad hall of fame is gonna have funniest pixar character but it's gonna be blocking him the most of him yeah, <laughs> hanging exactly. from the rafters so 100%. that's deserved so uh eva thank you so much for joining us on this journey we enjoyed your insight you had a lot of work to do during this bracket and you took it on like a champ we really appreciate you joining us Thank you guys for having me. It's always fun doing this. All right, everyone. Well, you know how to reach us. Did we get this right? Did we get this wrong? Do you have a bracket idea of your own? Or would you like to hop in and be a guest host slash tiebreak? Reach out to us. Email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Or hit us up on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Discord. All of those channels are linked in the description of this podcast. Or if you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can become a member of Jerry's gang by supporting us at the $5 level by going to patreon.com slash mouse madness. And you can get access to two bonus mouse at mouse ad. Dude, this just <laughs> yeah, you are, pills hitting me right hitting now. It is you, brother. It is in you. <laughs> Where you can access two bonus mouse madness episodes a month. Things like movie reviews, funny uh, story time hours, past Disney park trips that Kyle and I have been on, deep Ellen dives DeGeneres into Disney history, <laughs> Ellen DeGeneres Q and A. Uh, <laughs> you never know what you're gonna find. Uh, you've also got your seasonal Mouse Madness trivia that should be coming up in the next six weeks or so. Who knows? I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's get Chris off this podcast. End it. End the outro. Uh, 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 until next time, folks. Um, uh, uh, bye. You now don't try to kid me, man cub. I made a deal with you. What I desire is man's red fire to make my dream come true. Now give me the secret.